So, Mark. Yes. I've been thinking a lot about film scores. Wait, hold on. H.R. McMaster is out as national security. Wait, and what? Is replaced by John Bolton. <sighs> oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's getting bad. Oh my god. Lol. Why are we doing this? What? Why are we doing this? But yeah, the world's about to end. What the heck? John Bolton, who recently wrote a reason we should attack North Korea. Wait, what was this? I missed this. There, yeah, he wrote an op-ed that said, like, um, it's, like, a legal reason for us to attack North Korea. I couldn't bring myself to read it because I was like, who is this nut job? But apparently this nut job is now in charge. He was UN ambassador for Bush towards the end of the term. Yeah. It's weird that we're recording so close that this will actually be current and maybe not get cut. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Wild. It's been a while since we've been in the uh, HP studios recording an episode. <laughs> yes. We've got our own studio. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Weirdly, it looks like an ICC classroom at Georgetown, but it's not an ICC classroom. No, of course not. We've got engineer Devin over there is keeping us going on the tech. Hi, Devin. How's it going? Excuse me. His name's Toby. But Toby doesn't actually engineer us. Toby lends (laughs) us the equipment. I like to think that he's our producer at heart. I was going to create this whole cast of characters who populate the heart of Podness world. But no, you just want to shut it down with reality again, Mark? No, I just want to give Toby credit where credit is due. We can give Toby credit. Toby lends us our equipment. Devin is our engineer. He keeps the tech going. He makes it sound good or bad. If you have tech problems, you can stop directing them at me and you can direct them to Devin. <laughs> he is at Devin on Twitter. <laughs> I wonder who is at Devin. We're going to start tweeting at him. Uh, Everybody tweet at Devin. You can email him at Devin at heartofpodness.com. Tweet at Devin, hashtag up the sound. Um, okay, so back to square one. We were talking about film scores and yes. music in film. Were we? We were about to, and then John <laughs> Bolton ruined everything. So we're talking about music and film. Yes. And you, of course, know that my favorite movie is Back to the Future. Right. Because it is a perfect blockbuster. Are you going to talk about this song again? Am I going to talk about The Power of Love? Yeah. I'm always ready to talk about The Power of Love. You're always ready to shoehorn it in. Have I talked about it on the show before? I don't know if you have. I just talk about it all the time. So yeah, no you way talk about it in the life The Power of Love lot. is an amazing song. Huey Lewis in the News wrote the anthem of a generation. And it plays like five times in Back to the Future. And it's hilarious. It gets a little bit funnier every time but is always great too. And I thought of that while I was watching From Russia With Love because they play the James Bond theme so much in this movie. Did you count? I wish I had. Yeah, me too. It's like every scene transition. They go, ba-da-bum, ba-da-bum. Or there'll be another scene transition and they'll go, ba-da-ba-da-ba. It's great. I love it. It's everywhere. It's a great theme. Yeah, it is. Love the James Bond theme. Very classic. Do you have like a favorite song from a movie or something? From a specific movie? Yeah, it has to be tied to a movie. It can't be like the use of Hallelujah in Shrek. (laughs) You mean the Shrek soundtrack doesn't count? No. You mean the uh, Shrek original, Funky Town by Lips Inc., which I assumed was made for the movie Shrek for a very long time. Funky Town is in Shrek 2. Yeah, but they're, you know, someday we'll cover Shrek 2. Probably. Um... I mean, recently, it's probably like Visions of Gideon or Mysteries of Love from Call Me By Your Name. Oh, okay. Uh, Less fun. Less fun, but very good. Um, Fun-wise... The other ones for me, if I had to pick a recent movie, it would be everything from Sing Street. Yeah, or Coco. Oh, yeah. Remember Me from Coco. Only if it ends with a bell drop. Which they did not do. Everything should end with a giant bell dropping and crushing the performer. There would be one performance of everything. (laughs) Or else you have to recast every time. Yeah. But I'm into this idea. No. So we have a giant bell every time we do a performance. And this would be really cool. Like at the Grammys, you have like the best musicians there. 
But after every performance, die. a giant bell drops on them. So every year at the Grammys, it's all new people nominated. You could do this at the Emmys. It would stop the Modern Family thing where the Modern Family people get nominated every year. Yeah. Because any Modern Family person who gave a speech, a bell would drop on them. And they'd all die. This is a great idea. It'd shake things up. They could do different kinds of bells. They could do bells themed for your performance. Or there could be like the bell, you were pretty good. Or that performance was not so great. Like, remember me at the Oscars. And they could drop a different bell on you. But what about the bells of Notre Dame? Another great song from a movie. That's an awesome song. That's a great song. Yeah, stage version is better. Really? Yeah, the stage version of Hunchback of Notre Dame, they add in a bunch of stuff from the book. It's darker than the movie because Jason Alexander doesn't play a gargoyle in it. Yeah. Wow, what a weird... Who read that and was like, this would make a great children's movie? It's a great movie, except for the gargoyles. Right, but it's just like the mind that read Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame, it was just like... You know who this should be for? Children is just boggling to it me. It works pretty well, though. It does. It's awesome. Anyway, so in the stage version of it, which has never been done on Broadway, it went up in Germany in the 90s. And then they were like, this is too dark for American audiences because they'll take their kids to it because they're dumb. Yeah. So then in the 2010s, they did productions in New Jersey and in LA, but they were never able to move it to Broadway. And the opening number is still The Bells of Notre Dame, but it's like a six or seven minute song now. And it's all of Frollo's backstory. Right. And it's really cool. Instead of stupid gargoyles the chorus of the musical is the stained glass windows and statues of the saints around notre dame yeah. watching everything happen Ooh. and so that sort of religious judgment that hangs on things and not like a bad religious judgment but that religious sense of fate that yeah. animates it is brought in by this it chorus. feels kind of spooky it's really cool and they talk to quasimodo but they don't talk to anybody else like in the movie but instead it's him talking to the saints so there's like a prayer quality instead yeah. of these are his weird gargoyle friends <laughs> The weird gargoyles. Yeah. Didn't they get their own TV show? I don't think so. Did Hunchback get a TV show? Because Disney was doing that a lot in the 90s. There was the Hercules yeah. show. There was an Tomorrow Aladdin Pumbaa. show. A Little Mermaid show. Was there a Little Mermaid show? I think so. There were sequels to Little Mermaid. I think there was a show. It was all on like Disney Extreme or whatever. Okay. Like their Disney channel that was in the hundreds on cable. Mm-hmm. I think there was a one about the gargoyles too, maybe. Interesting. There's a new Tangled show. Really? Yeah, the animation style looks kind of cool. Is it different from the movie? Yeah, it's not CGI. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm just waiting for you to get to the point you wanted to make, because I think I know what it is. That Uh, was it. I wanted to talk about Bond. Oh, you wanted me to talk? Howard the Dog. I legitimately did not think of this. Really? This was not the aim of the conversation. Oh, you said songs from movies, so I was just ready for... No, I just wanted... A great one is Howard the Duck. And then you would play the little jingle, and then we would all laugh and move on. I, no, I just legitimately wanted to talk about the Bond theme, because it's really good. It and is. I thought it was funny how much they played it in the movie. Yeah, okay. Wow. I was so ready. This week's Duck Talk was brought to you by Mark Schaefer. Yeah. Oh, no. I saw music and film on the script, and I was just like, here it comes. The spirit of Duck Talk lives in all of us, and Mark discovered that today. I keep it with me all year. I will honor Duck Talk, the past, the present, and the future. The spirit of all three (laughs) shall live within me. Ew. (laughs) No. Um, cool. So are you actually ready to move on? Yeah, that was it. Yep. Okay, great. It's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, it's time for another Will pick. 
So I'm returning once again to the world of massive franchises. We're doing the second James Bond film, 1964's From Russia with Love. Yeah, so I hadn't seen this one before, but obviously I've seen a few Bond movies. Mm -hmm. I saw Goldfinger a long time ago at someone's lake house on VHS, like to put it in a time frame. Ah. So obviously I didn't remember it. And then I saw Casino Royale when it came out. So I did not see Casino Royale when it came out, but I remember I was at the movie theater and I ran into a dude that I went to school with and he was there to see Casino Royale. And then he goes, oh, what are you here to see? And I said, flushed away. Oh my God, I forgot about that movie. Yeah. It was surprisingly good if I remember correctly. I remember very little except that there were a bunch of frogs who were the bad guys yeah because the bad guys were frogs because they they're french they were wannabe posh frogs yeah and they were like very impressed by the fact that the main mouse was from like a nice neighborhood in london yeah i remember i don't know if it's good but i remember not hating it as much as i expected to that's my main impression that i took away from that movie that's the last movie that i remember looking up the show times in the newspaper instead of online oh wow I don't remember doing that at all. I had to do it at my grandparents' house because I don't think their movie theater was online. That's so weird. But yeah, so like Casino Royale is my first real Bond experience, I'd say. Um, I watched Quantum of Solace and then the <laughs> that I watched Skyfall and it was good. Yeah. And then I have recently rewatched Goldfinger, but I think that's about it. So Skyfall was my first Bond movie. It was right as I was really getting into watching movies. Like I grew up watching a lot of movies but not really having opinions on them or really thinking about them much. And it was around my sophomore, junior year of college. I was like, I'm going to teach myself about movies. And whatever year it was, it was the year that Skyfall came out. I think it was 2012. And I saw it in IMAX accidentally because my friends and I tried to go to a showing at one theater and it was sold out. So then we hopped across town to another theater and we discovered that we had misread the thing and the showtime was in IMAX. And I said, eh. And we went and it was awesome. Wait, oh my God. Speaking of accidentally seeing things, did Claire tell you? about her experience watching Black Panther. Did you see it in IMAX 3D? So it wasn't IMAX 3D. Was it 4D? She saw it in 4D. Yo. They like sprayed water on her face. She was just like, what the heck is going on here? That's amazing. Oh my God, I died of laughter. I didn't know anyone still did that. Oh yeah, they do. A lot of theaters have like one room where they do 40X movies. It's so weird. Apparently Geostorm was awesome in 40X. <laughs> That's like the only movie that you could justify spending more to get the 4D experience. But isn't it just they kind of rumble your chair a bit and yeah. spray water in your face? Yeah. That feels so weird. I've I, never gone. One day I, I will go to a, gym, I a 40X. I movie. only associate it with like movies at theme parks. Yeah. It's tough to be a bug. Yeah. I've seen that. It's a good show. Um, there's a Shrek one, I think, at Universal. I cannot confirm that. I I'm a fierce partisan. Either, but Universal's really fun. I know. You I, know what it's not as fun as? What? Disney World. Anyway, so Skyfall was my first Bond movie. It was awesome. It for a while ruined me for other Bond movies because I would go back and watch some of the older ones and I'd be like, this is not Skyfall. This is a different movie. And it was one of those weird things where James Bond so permeates the culture that I grew up on James Bond references and on James Bond parodies. Right. But had not seen Bond itself. Now, I was not an Austin Powers kid. I was a Johnny English kid. Ew. That movie was so bad. That movie is great. It was so bad. I have not rewatched it in like 10 years, but as a kid, I was a big fan. Yeah, I, wa I was an Austin Powers kid, and I hated Johnny English. But it was really funny, because watching this, I realized how many things are, like, really well-done Bond parodies. Yeah, and this is one of the ones to parody, because this was a huge hit. Right. It was number two. It made way more money even than Dr. No had made. Normally, this is the part where I would talk about how a movie performed, but 
we don't have weekly box office tracking numbers really for movies before the late 70s roughly that's partially just because it wasn't being tracked that way and partially because at the time before home video studios would re-release movies in theaters a lot yeah so when you look at the all-time total of something it's over multiple releases yeah it's that hard. was especially true of things that did really well your action movies or your disney movies so we don't really know how it did but it cost three million to make and it made 24 so pretty yeah. good do you have any idea of what that would be today i can look it up because i was reading about it and it was like three million they went way over budget and it was crazy expensive well, a big chunk of that actually is Sean Connery got a big bonus because Dr. No did so well. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds really like $3 million is what it costs to make a tiny indie these days. So it's like hard to think of it in perspective, adjusted for inflation, you might say. All right. I'm pulling up a money converter on my phone. So I'm not going to pretend that this is super accurate, but it's what the internet told me. So according to the website www.in2013dollars.com, which now updates to $2,018, $3 million in 1964 would be about $24 million today. That sounds about right. Yeah, that seems roughly what it would have cost to make this thing. Yeah. So this was, as we said, the second Bond movie. It was two years after Dr. No. Neither of them is the first novel. The first novel in the series is Casino Royale. But they didn't get the rights to do a Bond Casino Royale movie until Daniel Craig. Right. Because the Bond rights are bananas. They're wild. A chunk of the rights were bought out by the Broccoli family. That is their real name. They're involved in film production. Yeah. They mostly make Bond movies. Right. And they've brought rights to MGM, but there are also other rights that are in other places. Because the uh, reason they couldn't do a Casino Royale one is because they made a american spy parody right based off of casino royale my favorite thing about the james bond rights issue is that there have been a couple of movies including one with connery after he was no longer bond that are adaptations of bond books but that aren't part of the mgm bond family right because of the way the rights are shifted around and so mgm a couple of years ago put out a box set called the complete james bond film collection and there was a class action lawsuit against them because it was not in fact the complete james bond film collection because there are James Bond films not made by MGM. Yeah, I think there was like, it may have been Thunderball, but that's the one where there was a Sean Connery. There are one. two Thunderball adaptations. There's one by MGM and one not. Right, and they came out like the same year. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. They made a movie based off of the same book in the same year. I think the Connery one is the not MGM one. Yes. And it's because it was after Sean Connery was no longer Bond. It was Never Say Never Again, I think is the name. Yeah. Which is really bad. It's a great title. (laughs) It's so dumb. That's like the level that the diehard movies are at right now. I heard it was based off of a quote from Connery. Like when he was asked about playing Bond, he said, like, oh, never say never again. And then they turned that into the title of the movie. Hilarious. That's so crazy. But so the reason that they chose to do From Russia with Love next is that John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States, you may have heard of him. Mm, Maybe? Yeah. So he was this fellow. He was president at the time, and he did an interview with Life Magazine. And in it, he was listing his 10 favorite books, and he included From Russia with Love. Crazy. And John F. Kennedy, he's a pretty well-read guy. Yeah. He wrote some books, won some big awards with Profiles and Courage. Yeah. From Russia with Love, one of his favorite books, according to this interview with Life Magazine. And so they decided that that would be the one that they would adapt. And Kennedy saw the movie. He saw it on November 20th, 1963. Oh, my God. This is the last movie that John F. Kennedy saw alive. He was assassinated two days later. I don't know how I feel about that. 
It feels weird. I mean, it is based off of one of his favorite books. Yeah. He saw it at the White House the day before he went to Texas. Yeah. Wow. Who knew? Not me. Yeah. Crazy stuff. That's so weird. So if any of you do decide to watch the movie after this, just think, Kennedy watched this movie. And then he watched nothing else. Oh. (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. from... This seems like the kind of movie that Kennedy would like. Yeah. It's got that, like, Cold War, sexy spy thriller kind of vibe. We're talking James Bond, which means we're talking James Bond girls. Right. Can't get around it. Nope. I feel like Bond girls kind of exist on a spectrum of narrative use. Sometimes they're really central to the plot. Yeah. Sometimes they are barely there. Yeah. And there's even that spectrum within the, like, there could be more than one in the same movie. Like, different seven in this movie. Yeah. To really put this movie, to get you in the right mindset, I wrote this down. Within 20 minutes of the movie starting... Less than that. Less than 20 minutes, there is a scene in which a man is laying on grass with a very teeny tiny towel on his butt, and then a sexy blonde comes over and strips down to just a bikini and starts massaging him. And this is just out of nowhere, completely irrelevant. This woman is never seen again. The woman's never seen again. This is the villain... Like, it's not even a good guy that's getting this sexy rubdown. It's, it was just insane. Yeah, and of course, even before that, we have the opening credits, which are, even for a Bond movie, super ugly. It's so bonkers. The worst part of it is when they project 007, and the zeros in 007 are projected over a woman's breasts, like, jiggling around as she dances. Yeah. So were they actually projecting these onto the women? No. Because done in post. they're so hard to read. Yes, they're very hard to These read. These are so poorly done. I, like, couldn't read some of the names. It is not an informative use of opening credits. No, it's so bad. I guess they realized no one would actually be reading them. Because you're tried. so distracted by the so jiggly women. I so hard to read women. those opening credits. It's, like, the only one with real women. Like, usually they're all animated, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know at what point that starts. Yeah. Today they're all animated, and they're sort of just abstract stylistic right kind of stuff this is just women dancing yeah. but faceless women dancing right which is a thing that i noticed throughout the movie that the director terence young has this real tendency throughout the movie to not just like put sexy women on screen but to put sexy women on screen and cut them off below the head oh yeah so you get a lot of women from the neck down on screen during the opening credits but also like when they're looking through the periscope into the Soviet consulate. Right. You see that woman, you never see her head. Oh, my God. Just also, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> this movie includes underground tunnels under Istanbul. It's the sewer they, system. They take a boat through the sewer system, full Phantom of the Opera style. Oh, my God. Like, I actually expected the Phantom of the Opera to show up in one of the caverns. It looks just like it. So they take a boat through the sewers of Istanbul, and they get there, and... One of the guys working for British intelligence has just installed a periscope underneath the Soviet consulate that looks up into their main meeting room. It's so insane. How many floors of concrete does that thing have to go I through? I don't know. And he says, like, courtesy of your Navy. So, like, the Navy gave this Navy guy. Well, he works for British intelligence. Why is a Turkish guy running British intelligence? You recruit locals. They blend in. But he's, like, in charge of the whole turkey operation. Yes, well, everyone working in the turkey operation is his son. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> this guy, uh, Ali Karimbey, he only employs family because he says that's the most loyal thing you can have. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 20 sons. Yeah. I'm really curious how many he actually has. It I is funny how know. in the last act of the movie, when they're on this escape route, 
in every town, in every country they go through. The person they're meeting up with is one of his sons. It's so funny. I loved that. Yeah, it's great. But so this movie, plot-wise, in terms of its actual plot, it revolves around different groups' efforts to get their hands on a machine called Elector. Fun fact, in the book, it's called a Spectre. But since the movies have the organization Spectre, they changed the letter so it would be Elector. So they're trying to get their hands on Elector, which is an electric Soviet code-breaking machine. Spectre, this evil international organization they want one and they don't want people to know that it's them so they decide to manipulate the soviets and mi6 into getting it for them they choose a soviet codebreaker who's working in istanbul because they say she's super loyal so nobody in moscow will suspect her of doing anything wrong they barely touch on her loyalty we should talk about that the fact that she's super loyal to moscow like that is the last second twist kind of like when her loyalty is tested yeah I don't think that that's engaged with enough. We can talk about that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Then, of course, they decide to target Bond as retaliation for his elimination of Dr. No in the first movie. So there's a little bit of continuity going on here. Right. Now, over the course of the movie, Bond flirts with and presumably has sex with a ton of other people. I think I tried to keep count. Let me see. I think there's probably four. Yeah, I think we're at four. Yeah. So I'm just focusing on our two leads, but chime in whenever you want to talk about another romantic relationship. All right. So hold on. Let's run through it. So at the beginning of the movie, he's in Boating the boat girl. with, what's her name? Is she given a name? No. Okay. Just an anonymous woman he has sex with. And then Tatiana, and then the two Romani women. Yes. Which, what a scene. We're going to talk about that. That's not in our points, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. There's also Money Penny. He flirts with her. Yeah, but he doesn't have sex with Money Penny. Right. Flirting with Money Penny is just like the thing. Like yeah. it happens in every movie. Oh, of course. She's such a funny character. She's great. I liked her a lot. I would watch a spinoff about Money Penny. Oh yeah. One of my favorite moments in the movie is when he was just like, when M says, Money Penny, I know you're listening. Will you please send out a message for me? Such a great bit. It was it so funny. It tells us so much about that office. Oh yeah. So we're gonna jump in with some of these particular points. So it's Point number one, the mission. Bond and Tatiana are going to be given their jobs, which will lead them down this path that's been set up by Spectre. Right. So Spectre comes up with their idea, and the first person that we see recruited is our female lead, Tatiana Romanov, played by Daniela Bianchi. Romanova. Romanova, yes. (laughs) I don't think she's supposed to be a descendant of the Tsar. No, but it is where my brain went at first. Yeah. So played by Daniela Bianchi. Fun fact about her, she was the runner-up in the 1960 Miss Universe competition. Ooh. Guess who picked her to play the character? A broccoli. Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. So... It says on Wikipedia the character was voiced by. Yeah, she's dubbed. So she dubbed the whole movie? No, she's the physical actress. Barbara Jefford dubbed all the lines because Bianchi's accent was too strong. Oh my god. Where is she from? Italy? Yeah, she's Italian. That's so dumb. Yeah, so this character, all of her lines are dubbed That's by a British so actress. That's so dumb. Just hire someone. Like, there are other pretty women in the That's world. That's the most Bond girl move. Oh my god. That makes me so mad. I could not believe it when I found that out. So Tatiana Romanova, she works at the Soviet consulate in Istanbul. She gets a message from Colonel Kleb, who is number three inspector. Right. But used to work for Soviet She was like in charge of Smirsh, I think. Yeah. So she was big in Soviet military intelligence. She sends Tatiana a note to meet her. And Tatiana goes. And that's where Kleb tells her, hey, we're doing right. this mission. We're trying to catch this British intelligence guy. Sets up the honeypot. Right. The reason that Tatiana goes is because they've kept Kleb's defection a secret. A secret. So she doesn't know that so Kleb is now inspector. Right. So she thinks that Kleb is still her boss, essentially. Right. And Kleb is telling her, 
don't tell anyone you work with. This is classified above your superior's level. We picked you because you're loyal. We want you. You can't talk about this with anybody. And in the process, she's told basically, you need to seduce this James Bond guy. Here's a picture of him. He's attractive, right? Yeah. And she's like, mm, yeah, he is. Yeah, of course. You bet. Bond could seduce people even through pictures. Yeah, yeah. it's all in the eyes. So Cleb is telling her that they're going to plant a fake Lecter with Bond. So that's why she's going through with this, because she thinks the Lecter she's going to give Bond is fake, even though it's not. Right. And she's also told that she has to do it. Like, you do the mission or you're killed, because now you know too much to be allowed to just go off. Right. And that's where the assassin, Red Grant, is there. The dude who was having his body rubbed down. Yeah. He's there. So the threat of her being killed if she doesn't go along is very real. Yeah. So she actually would be killed. Yeah. They all will. And Cleb also... Club also tells her that it will be a simple, delightful duty and a labor of love. Well, flirting pretty hard. Yes. Do you think Club loves the love? I think Club does not love love, Ugh. if you know what I mean. <laughs> this is trash. We are officially not a fan of Colonel Club. No. She does not love the love. It doesn't matter because we don't get a lot of her in the movie. Hashtag no Club. <laughs> I don't like that one. It's a good one. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world... By which I mean Britain. You know, a few miles away. Yeah, just a jaunt. Yeah. Hop, skip, and a jump. Yep. Over to jolly old England. Probably like, what, a four-hour flight? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? You would know that more than I do, and I don't know. Yeah, fair. So, Bond is in a boat, and he's making out with a lady. Uh, her name is Sophia. I have that in my notes. Oh, she has a she name. She has a name. Whoa, character development. <laughs> he's making out with Sophia. <laughs> He gets called into the office. They have sex first in the back of the car. Yeah. Not in the boat. But what was interesting is she's definitely a repeat conquest. Really? Yeah, because she says, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. And that's why she's pressuring him to, like, actually stay Mm -hmm. because she misses him. Right. Good point. So it's interesting because he has, like, an established relationship, which you never see. Yeah. She seems fun. Yeah, I liked her. I I was a fan of Sophia. Anyway, so then he goes into the office and that's where... He's told that from their end, from the Soviet end, Tatiana contacted the station chief in Istanbul and said that she wanted to defect and that she would bring a lector with her, but she would only do it if Bond came and picked her up. Because the reason she gives for wanting to defect is that she fell, fell in, in love, love with Bond's picture. I've fallen for him! And then openly acknowledge, like, yeah, she fell in love with you with a picture. You're going to have to live up to whatever she's imagining. Right. And MI5... Six? Six. MI6. Okay. Uh, knows that it's a trap. They're like, this is so ridiculous, it has to be a trap. But we should investigate anyway. What's fun about it is that in the scene where Spectre is laying out their whole plan, they say, of course the British will know it's a trap. They think everything is a trap, but they're going to do it anyway because they can't resist a trap. Right. So the movie gets that out of the way. You know, you might watch it and be like, how would they fall for this? Well, they know they're falling for it. Right. They choose to do it anyway. Yeah, so that's when Bond essentially, you know, hops on a plane. After flirting a bit with Money Penny, oh, pretty of great. course. You know, I never look at another woman with a written title drop. Yes, right. So when he's leaving, he leaves the photo of Tatiana that he was given. They both get a photo of each other. Right. Very Aww. cute. He leaves the photo of Tatiana with Money Penny after writing "From Russia with Love" on it, which is I appreciate that there's a title drop. Made no sense. It didn't make any sense, and he didn't say it. It was a real disappointment for me. Yeah, I really didn't understand what happened there. I was glad at the end of the movie when they played the song and it started with the title. Right. Because I need a title drop. You know what I found interesting? It is a long time before you're introduced to the real Bond in this. Like, you have fake Bond in the opening pre credit scene. Right, when Grant is training to prove that he's ready to go be a Spectre assassin. But then to get to the real Bond, it was probably like 20 
minutes. More. Yeah, because we have an extended sequence with Spectre. We have the chess match. Right. And then we have... Tatiana. Tatiana. We have Blofeld's ship. Right. Where they're having the meeting. That is on a boat, right? Yeah, it was on a boat. So we get a decent amount. You're right. Before Sean Connery shows up for real. Yeah. So anyway, that takes us to uh, Bond heading off to Istanbul, which takes us to point number two. A bunch of stuff happens in between. Oh, actually, if we want to talk about the the Romani, this is the place because Bond is hanging out in Istanbul. He meets up with Karen Bey, the station chief. They look through the periscope into the Soviet right. offices where Bond ogles a woman whose face we never see. Is it her? Is it her? I, I think it was, it's Tatiana. I thought it was someone else. Because he says, like, from this angle, things are shaping up nicely. Oh, good point. Good point. All right. So then he gets there. He's checking through his room. He decides to switch from his main room to the bridal suite because the first room is bugged. Right. Like, very cheaply. But that was part of the plan, too. Right. That he would realize that and switch. He's told that the bridal suite is the only other open room. So he switches to that room. Now, at this point, he and Karen Bay go to visit this Romani village, which... Originally, they were supposed to shoot in an actual Romani village. Really? Yeah. So a good chunk of this movie is shot in Istanbul. But in order to get British government film subsidies, yeah. they had to shoot 70% of it in the UK. Huh. And so, I mean, because the subsidies are designed to create film jobs in Britain. Right. So one of the things that they cut was they then just built a Romani village at Pinewood Studios. Yeah. Instead of shooting it at a real one. The reason they go there is so weird because it's like what they establish is that Karim thinks that Bond's hotel is too dangerous, which makes sense. (laughs) Accurate. So they go because he's established a like relationship with the Romani. Yeah, they're buddies. Whereas the Russians have a relationship with the Bulgarians. Yes, and the Romani so and the now Bulgarians. There's a rivalry the between politics, the Romani and the Bulgarians. The politics of Istanbul in this movie are amazing. It's when so Bond funny. arrives and he's getting a ride from the airport to the MI6 station, there's a car following them the whole way and Bond acknowledges it. He's like, hey, is it normal for you to be followed like this? And the driver, who is of course one of Karen Bay's sons, says oh yeah you know that's how it goes one day they follow us the next day we follow them we have an understanding here yeah and karen bay talks about that too he's like yeah istanbul's a a pretty sleepy joint you know you're in the balkans everything's different we just kind of tolerate each other we go through the motions but we don't get in anybody's way right <laughs> and then they've got their assistance the bulgarians and the romani and so they've got their rivalry going on it's this very weird nonsense kind of geopolitics it makes no sense it's so great i love the commitment to fleshing it out with the multiple levels yeah but it still means nothing (laughs) it's so it's never even relevant yeah it's so weird because they could have just had the whole romani sequence is pointless oh yeah it's just to have a belly dancer and who is very impressive yeah she's great but those stomach muscles are unbelievable and then they go to this weird girl fight to win the affection of the chief. Right. There are two, the chief's son, right? The chief's son. There are these two women who are fighting for the affection of the chief's son. They have a literal girl fight, which to its credit, not that sexualized. No, it's very aggressive. It's a murdery fight. Yeah. I was impressed with that. Yeah. But then there's- It gets a, broken up by the fight. Right. There's a fight. The like a battle. This movie has a battle <laughs> yeah. sequence, which I was surprised by in a James Bond movie. Yeah. The, it looks like an adventure film from the 50s. These people just show up over the walls yeah. of the Romani village. The Bulgarians show up and just start shooting everyone in sight. Meanwhile, the Spectre assassin is there and he's picking off people who might kill Bond because he needs Bond for the mission. And so Bond saves the chief. And then as a reward, the chief asks 
Bond, like, what he wants. And Bond says, I want you to stop this fight. And then the chief says, oh, well, if we stop the fight, you have to choose. So Bond sleeps with both of them. It's wild. It's so crazy. The scene is bananas. And it's not even one of our points. We just no. had to talk about it. The thing with the James Bond movie, every James Bond movie is like an hour and a half of just brilliant spy action. And this movie is too. This movie is fun. Yeah. It's an hour and a half of brilliant spy action. And then another, like, 40 minutes <laughs> Usually, most of those 40 minutes happen after the movie should have ended. Yeah. But sometimes there's a weird scene in the middle, like in this case, the Romani village. It's so weird. It's so weird. Okay, but this brings us to point number two, where Bond goes back to the hotel, is like in the bathroom. He's getting ready for a shower. shower. He's just wearing his towel. Yeah. And then he hears someone come in, so he goes into his room. And Tatiana- bridal suite. In the Big bed, giant mirror behind yeah. the wall. So Tatiana has gotten naked and just climbed into his bed. And this is how they meet. They just start making out. They just start making out. Bond stops to talk business. And then they go into sex. And she sex. keeps refusing to talk business. She's like, no, we'll talk about business tomorrow. Yeah. She's just in it to hit it and quit it. Yeah. She says the machine's at the consulate. She doesn't want to talk until the morning. Meanwhile, behind the mirror, Colonel Kleb and the other folks from Spectre are taking video and taking pictures of the two of them in bed together. So it's all very scandalous. Scandaloso. Yeah, but th- so that's how they meet. And it's all uh, very sexual. Yeah. It starts out strong. They yeah. go in hot. There's real chemistry. Yeah. Um. So, but that's basically point two. That's basically they meet it. and have they sex. They meet in bed. Tatiana just goes for it. Yeah. Um. So we decided that's point number two. So point number three is going to be the actual stealing of the lector. And the mission that they have to go through. So, like, she's leaving him dead drops, leaving him information around town. But yeah. Red Grant, who in my notes is listed as Daniel Craig. Yeah, he kind of looks he like looks him. He looks weirdly like Daniel Craig. Much blonder, though. Yes. He has, like, the scary Aryan blonde look. Yeah, he reminded me of, this is not a reference you would get, but he reminded me of Nuke from Daredevil Comics. Sure. Who is this crazy dude who is, they were trying to recreate Captain America. And so they gave this dude an experimental super soldier serum that they developed in like the 70s. Yeah. And it did not work. And it drove him, it made him super buff, but also drove him insane. And so he has to take these pills to like regulate his, there's like one that regulates. Wait, isn't he in Jessica Jones? Yeah, that's right. They adapted him in Jessica Jones. Yeah. So there's the one that like keeps him calm and there's the one that makes him basically Hulk out. Right. Um, and sometimes he paints his face with an American flag. It's super creepy. Anyway, uh, Daniel Craig's character, excuse me. <laughs> um Red Grant, played by Robert Shaw, yeah, made me think of Nuke a lot. Yeah, so there's like weird spy stuff happening. Yeah, um, at one point, Grant actually kills an actual Soviet agent. Right. Who's trying to intercept the dead drop. Yeah. So the Soviets realize something is going on and try to get involved. Because the whole time Spectre is increasing tension between the two sides. Right. But Spectre is also covering for Bond and Tatiana because they want the lector. Right. So at this point, they get the lector. Well, no, no. They meet on this boat where they're getting flirty again. He keeps trying to get information on the machine, and she just keeps trying to seduce him. Yeah. So even though they've had sex, she still will not talk business and just wants to continue flirting. Yeah. She's committing hard. Yeah. She's committed to the bit. They are building some chemistry. Yeah. And that's my whole thing in all this is to what extent is she doing the job? To what extent is she really into Bond? I have no idea. I don't think the movie establishes it. No. And like so many Bond girls defect to Bond's side because of their love for him. So I knew it would happen. But this one, they do not ever really show. There's no transition. A transition. But it's interesting because then you do spend the whole movie questioning whether she likes Bond or not. I just wish we got a little bit more of that. The movie early on establishes that they're willing to show Tatiana alone 
reporting to Kleb, having Soviet loyalty, right. where they talk about her allegiance to Moscow. I wish that there were a scene like halfway through the movie where Tatiana has to check in with Kleb again. I think halfway through the movie is the belly dancing. <laughs> like okay. a lot of this is Accurate. in the last act. But I wish that there was some point in the movie where Tatiana reported into Kleb again before they go for the actual theft and says, okay, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. Right. And we got to see some of that tension in Tatiana. Yeah, that would make sense. Right. So Kleb is saying, great, this is going to be awesome. Then we're going to kill Bond. And Tatiana's like, oh no, but I love Russia. Right. I think that's the piece that's missing here. Yeah, that would make the movie a bit more coherent. But everything is so necessary. Where would they make any cuts? I mean, what are you going to do? Have Bond only make out with one woman? I mean, you still have Boat Girl at the beginning. Sophie. Sophie. Is it Sophie or Sophia? Sophia, I think you said. It is Sophia. Who knows? She's great. So yeah, so then they pull off the heist to steal the machine. Then Russian security men watch them as they rush with the machine to get to the train. Right. We don't actually really see the heist. No. But we see them leaving. Oh, no, we do. Because Bond sets the bomb. Oh, you're right. Bond basically sets off a bomb in the embassy, and then he just goes in, and they take the thing and walk out. And so then Bond, Tatiana, and Karen Bay run, get on the train, and some Soviet agents watch them get on. And now we're into part four, which is the Orient Express. Not really. It's literally the Orient Express. Is it? Yeah. I thought the Orient Express went Baghdad to Istanbul. I guess it probably goes past Istanbul too. Yeah. Um, but like murder on the Orient Express happens between Baghdad and Istanbul. Yes, but it is the Orient Express. Okay. Uh, this movie ups the game on Agatha Christie. There are two murders on this Orient Express. <laughs> Wait, no, there are three. There's three. There are three. Triple three the murders. Murder, triple the Express. It doesn't. Not go three times as fast. I, I bet don't it does. Think. I think it speeds up every time you kill somebody. It's a train that runs on the <laughs> souls of dead men. Powered by murder. I would watch that movie. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Whoever it is that listens to this podcast and takes notes of all of my movie ideas, take that one down. Train of Souls, we're calling it. It's going to be awesome. Coming to you, what do you think, 2021? Because we're going to have to render special effects for it. Let the train choose souls. Does it have a maw? Let's keep it on the same production schedule as Avatar. So we'll play it by ear. (laughs) Who knows when it'll come out. But yeah, so they're on the train. Everything seems to be going fine. They have a plan. They're going to get off in Yugoslavia. Well, the trick is they need to get into Italy. They need to get beyond the Soviet bloc. Yeah, but originally they're planning to get off early. Oh, you're right. But then the plane. They're going to jump off the back of the rel- of the restaurant car. Right. So they're originally just going to jump off near the border with Yugoslavia, I think in Greece, and then take a boat to Italy. Yes, because their ultimate destination is Venice to then get back to England. Right. But they miss that because because Karen Bay gets murdered. Karen Bay gets murdered along with the Soviet agent. Right. The so two of them meet up, and then we find Karen them both Bay, dead. Yeah. Karen Bay has the Soviet agent prisoner. But we find them both dead because of Red Grant, Red Grant, who came in and kills them both and makes it look like they killed each other. Right. So that's where we got our double homicide on the Orient Express. Yes. And it looks like it was done by Red Grant, but actually, everybody did it. <laughs> no, this it one, was all this the time passengers. It was, this time it was Red everybody! Grant. Everybody! Who was the person in the kimono, Mark? Who was it? Um, moving on. Speaking of clothes, though, I like that this movie makes a plot point out of the fact that Tatiana has lots of different outfits to wear. Yeah. Because when they get on the train, Bond reveals that he bought this chest of clothes. I think this is the moment where she turns. I think it's just because of fashion. <laughs> okay. Fashion. I can she get just up wants that. to look chic. All of the dresses, though, look like PJs. Yes, Where at they first do. I thought he was just buying her nightgowns. But some of them aren't. There's one, she's got a nice sweater skirt combo towards the end there. But yeah, so with Karim dead, 
they have to reevaluate the plan. And at the next stop, they pick up Agent Nash. Right. They're supposed to be meeting a British agent in Zagreb. And Nash is murdered by Red Grant, who then impersonates him. And all this time, Bond and Tatiana are pretending to be a married couple. Yes, the Somersets of Derbyshire. To get back to the romance, they've been, I think they bang on the train while Karim is being murdered. Maybe. And then... I think that one is less definite than the other sex scenes. Yeah. But they're, like, flirting on the train. He gives her the dresses, which she's really into. Oh, you know what? The most important thing is that after Karen Bay dies, Bond goes to Tatiana, and he says he knows she's under orders. He right. reveals that he knows about the whole trap thing, and he grabs her. She says she can't tell him anything, and this is when he smacks her. Yeah, he gives her a hard hit. It was uncomfortable It was a watch. Sean Connery move. Yeah. Sean Connery has some things to say about domestic violence. You can look those up on the internet if Ooh. you want to. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so that was unpleasant. Yeah, she says she'll tell him everything when they get to England, but he says, "Look, there might not be parts of you there might not be parts that you don't know, but you need to tell me everything that you do know." Yeah, so that's when Nash shows up. Right. Then Nash shows up. They're hanging out. They go to the dining car together. They have a really uncomfortable dinner cuz she's just been hit. And then Nash drugs her, and when they're walking back to the compartment, Bond asks what he put in the drink. So Bond saw it happen, but he no longer trusts her. Right. And so then Nash, fake Nash Red Grant, says that he can only get one person out, so basically you need to get Bond in the machine or Bond and Tatiana, but there's not going to be room for all of them. But the whole time he's planning on killing all of them anyway. Right. Grant knocks Bond out while explaining his plan, because it's a Bond movie and you have to explain the evil plan. Yeah, so the whole plan is explained to us. Don't worry. We know what's exactly what's going on. He reveals Spectre, the whole deal, and he says the plan is to kill them both, plant evidence to look like Bond killed Tatiana for blackmailing him with the tape, the sex tape. of the bridal suite. Right. right. At this point, they fight. Bond kills Grant. As I put it in my notes, another murder! Yep. So Triple bon- murders, triple speed. Yeah, so Bond kills Grant with a case designed by Q. To murder, to orient. Uh, Bond kills Grant with a case designed by Q. Oh, yeah, because the case gets got... It's a whole Bond thing. There's yeah. the bomb in it with the tear gas. There's the knife. The sniper. He doesn't uh, use the sniper for that. No, I'm just saying, like... It's in a great case. Kit. Yeah. He uses, in that one scene, he uses everything except the sniper. Right, because he doesn't have time to assemble it. Right, because he uses the sovereigns, the gas, and the knife. The cool use of the sniper is when Karen Bay kills the guy in Istanbul, and it's the place where there's the building with the giant poster movie poster on the side. Right. And the secret entrance is the woman's mouth opens. Yeah, it was really weird. It's so cool, though. I love it. It's so funny. It's so unnecessary and great. Yeah. So then they get off the train, they get in a car, and they drive for a while. They have a helicopter fight scene. Right. Every Bond movie following this one includes a helicopter fight scene. Which he takes down with one sniper shot. Well, he shoots the dude in the hand after the dude had pulled the pin on a grenade to throw it. Oh, that's right. So the guy drops the grenade in the helicopter instead of out of it. The grenade blows up the helicopter. Yeah. Then they get on a boat to get to Venice. And that takes us to point number five, Venice and Kleb's Last Stand. (laughs) Colonel Kleb is a great name. Yeah, it's really fun. I like Kleb. She's a really interesting character. She's great. So Kleb is now desperate. She is on the brink because... So she picked Grant, and another guy, number five, designed the plan. Right. He's a chess master, so he's the master planner for Spectre. So as they're escaping to Venice, there's a conversation between Blofeld, Kleb, and chess guy. Blofeld, who is not named in this movie, as is tradition, you don't see his face. There is no actor credited on his It's just credited with a question mark in the credits of the movie. Yeah, I don't know when he first gets credited, but it's not, yet. not for a while. So Kleb and Chess Guy are like trying to pass blame back and forth. And Blofeld makes it seem like Kleb is going to die, but then he kills the chess master. 
and says, like, we don't tolerate failure. So she is desperate to get it back. This is it for Colonel Right. Plum. So if she doesn't get this lector, she's dead. So ultimately what she does is she disguises herself as a maid. And when Tatiana and Bond are getting ready to go to London, she keeps trying to pick up the lector to take their bags out. And Bond keeps saying, like, no, I'll take it. And then Kleb kind of signals to Tatiana, like, hey, it's me. Close the doors. This is going down now. And Tatiana does it at first. And Kleb pulls a gun, starts fighting Bond. Has Bond, basically, she can kill him. Yeah. But that's when Tatiana comes back into the room. Right. Tatiana comes back and, like... Disarms Kleb. Disarms Kleb. And then Kleb has a little knife in her shoe. She has a knife in her shoe. It's awesome. She's just, like, awkwardly kicking towards Bond. To bring another uh, comic book reference in it, there's a Spider-Man villain called the Tarantula, who is a Central American guerrilla fighter. And he has poison knives on the tips of his shoes, and that's what I was thinking of. But if he were dressed as a maid and only had one poison knife yeah so she's just awkwardly kicking towards bond fun fact in the book of this this is basically where the book ends tatiana is killed in this bit and the book ends with bond on the floor about to be kicked to death by colonel club and then it picks up in the next one i guess so weird but instead yeah instead bond kills club and and then he and tatiana sail off on a gondola sail off on a gondola she gives him back the somerset ring the like fake wedding ring from when they were the somersets And they make out on the boat as From Russia With Love starts to play. Ah, and that's the end. And I'm guessing in the next one, Tatiana is never mentioned again. Yes, I'm sure. So, okay. So that's From Russia With Love. What did you think? Um, it's fun. It's a Bond movie. It's a Bond movie. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's too long, but it's fun. It's too long, but it's just a quintessential Bond movie. And what do you think? Is the 007 Tatiana relationship believable? Uh, no. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Um, because... The whole premise of this movie, more than any of uh, the other Bond movies I've seen, is based entirely on his sexual charisma. And that is Which it. is the core of the Sean Connery Bond. Yeah. But, like, they don't really even talk about his skills as a spy or anything. This one is exclusively no, it's how so they attractive have the periscope. he is. They don't need to spy. They've got the periscope already <laughs> built in. Yeah. So, and the thing is, he's not that good looking. Like he's got a certain class. He has a certain class, but it's really not as much as the movie wants you to believe. No. So it's just like I don't know if it really is basically supposed to be that she falls in love with him based on his looks. Yes. And that's it. And then the like I guess life and death yeah. madness that they he go also through. hits her. Yes. And not a little bit. And not, not a that little there bit. are acceptable degrees of that. No. But like, it's full force. It's yeah. It's like even in this situation, it's almost depicted as more of a torture mechanism, too. Like, he's beating her for information, which is also bad practice. Yes, of course. Torturing, like, other operatives is bad. Paging CIA. Yeah. So, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say, for the most part, I agree with you. I like the fact that everybody in this movie goes into it as, like, this is a sham. Yeah. And that it's not like she comes in immediately swept off her feet by Bond, which is the that case is with true. most women yeah. in Bond movies. So I like that element of it, but I think that where it goes from there, like I said earlier, I think it's missing a scene of us being sold on it. Right. Because I can't tell you the point at which it transitions, and there are enough skeezy elements right. that it makes me wonder why she would transition. Yeah. So, so I think with another scene or two, not that I want the movie to be longer, <laughs> with another scene or two, it could be it more could be interesting a lot better. Yeah. and better. Um, Where would you rate it? In terms of believability. Yeah. It feels middle of the pack. I'd I'd go as far as a four. But I don't know if I'd go any higher. I was thinking like four or five. Um, I think there's possibility there. But I don't think the movie establishes it. Right. So I get. I feel comfortable with a four. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do yeah. four. 
All right. And do you think Bond and Tatiana <laughs> no, are dateable? Neither. Neither of them. of them is dateable. I don't think this needs any more. I don't want to date anybody who's loyal to Mo- who's identified as loyal to Moscow. Right. And of course, Bond is a nightmare. Yeah. So no. Yeah. But if you did have to pick one person, who would it be? I think there's one obvious answer. Who are you going to say? Money Penny. Oh, Money Penny is awesome. She wasn't even on my list. Really? Yeah. Who are you oh, thinking? Man, I should have thought of that. Uh, Sophia is pretty cool. Yeah. She knows how to have a fun time on a boat. Maybe. Just, like picnicking and stuff. Yeah. Maybe Ali Karambe is pretty He was my other guy. Yeah. It was Karambe. I don't know if I want to have 20 children with him. Yeah. That might be too many. He's a fun guy. Yeah. Very casual, even in a high-powered job. Mm-hmm. I liked him. Yeah. Karen Bay would be a great friend. Yeah. I mean, he's basically the Egyptian friend from Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. I think they're both played by Spanish actors. Both great characters. I feel very comfortable with my choice, and I'm going to stick with Money Penny. Oh, Money Penny, what a great choice. And ignoring the 22 Bond movies that followed this, do you think Tatiana and Bond would stay together? No. He's going to sleep with a woman before they make it to London. Correct. <laughs> Like, on the plane, he will have sex with someone else. Do you think Tatiana would actually defect? Or is she headed back to Moscow? Um, I think she's defecting. And At this point, it's hard to turn back. It's Yeah, I think it's too late for her to turn back, because she can't show up without the lector. Right, and MI6 is not giving that back to her. Right. So I think she's defecting, and I think she'll be very sad in England, because Bond will leave her immediately, and she'll be left with no one she knows. Right, and of course, her accent is too indecipherable so she's gonna need barbara jefford to follow her around and repeat all of her lines yeah basically i can't believe they did that i can't believe it (laughs) okay um i think that's it for this one yeah that does it and next week we're going to be making some of you very happy we're covering literally our most requested film sweet home alabama yeah everyone wants us to talk about this movie every time i talk to people about this show they're like oh you should do sweet home alabama I can kind of understand why after watching it. But those people are all coming at it from the perspective of loving the movie. Yeah. I don't know why that is the case, I've seen the movie three times in the last two years. Wow. But that's because it has weirdly become an annual tradition for me. Stay tuned to find out our thoughts on this movie. Oh, it's going to be fun. You can see our whole upcoming schedule on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find us there and everywhere at Heart of Podness. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. And if you write us a review, tell us what item in your personal life you'd want Q to outfit with weapons. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? I'm going to say leave photos of other women with a woman that you're flirting with, like Bond does with Money Maddie. Um, I'm going to say nothing. There is nothing healthy in this movie that you should try and emulate. That's fair. All right, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! You're telling me to keep my hold Because you've got